Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. thank you, Lord, that your word has given us all a common goal and that you show us how to live and serve together well. We pray that these church bodies will be places where your truth is proclaimed and where healing takes place. And we ask that, Lord, that as people come through the doors, they will get to know you deeply. Lord, we know that as long as we are here, our journey of growth and of getting to know you, it won't end. And we ask, Lord, for your continued guidance in this and that we will learn what it looks like to truly abide in you. And in this journey, we ask that our hearts will be led and to be surrendered and submitted before you, that you will convict us of our sins and our minds and hearts and spiritual eyes will be opened. We know we can't do this on our own. So we thank you, Lord, and ask that you will be with us today and that you'll speak to us. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. We'll be reading today from Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools, so fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Thank you very much, Andrew. If you have your Bibles or your devices on which you have your Bible, you might want to keep it open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 because we're actually going to do a quick Bible study through those seven verses in this sermon this morning. You know, a faithful preacher of God's word will always have a goal in mind every time he writes a sermon. So as I prepared this sermon this weekend, the goal was very simply this, how to please God without being religious. How to please God without being religious. Or to put it into context for every one of us, how to be a Christian without being religious. Now that is an interesting journey, let me tell you. And no one better to help us on that journey than Solomon. Because as you read in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that Solomon has been on a journey to find the meaning of life. And he's tried humanism and hedonism and work and money and all kinds of wisdom. And you know what? Every time he searched for life somewhere, it came up empty. And he would write in his book, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So 
he goes to religion. Now, friends, surely he can find meaning for life in religion, right? I mean, it's religion, for goodness sakes. It focuses on a higher power. Surely there must be meaning in religion. And so he searches for the meaning and the purpose of life in religion, and guess what he finds? Absolutely nothing. It is meaningless. It is empty. Religion isn't the answer. Now, Solomon is an expert at this because he is the king over Israel. And the people that he leads, the people of Israel, they are a very religious people. The problem is that their religion is a mile wide and an inch thick. It has a veneer of devotion and obedience, but no real depth of commitment. They go through the motions, but their hearts are completely detached from any effort to be pleasing and honoring to the Lord. So Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, literally calls out the religion of his people. Now, I want you to notice how he does that today by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And so first of all, in verse 1, what you will notice is that Solomon warns them to be careful on how they approach God. This is what he says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now understand this, that for Solomon, going to worship wasn't driving down Peach Bottom Road and going to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, going to worship meant going to the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem. And when you got there and you walked in that temple, you went through a courtyard, and then you went into the holy place if you were fortunate enough, but you never went into the very presence of God. His presence was contained in what is known as the Holy of Holies, and he there was over the Ark of the Covenant. Only one person could go into the very presence of God, and only one time a year. He was the great high priest, and only once a year could he go into the presence of God. They would even have a rope tied to him so that if he had a heart attack in the presence of God, they could pull him out so that nobody would go in other than the high priest to the very presence of God. And so when you went to worship at the temple, understand this, your worship was highly regulated, and there were many rules to follow. You went there to make offerings and to follow those rules. And as Solomon looked at his people, and as he observed them going to worship, he noticed that they detached themselves and their hearts from their acts of worship. Never did God intend those offerings or those rules to be done out of a routine kind of, oh, I have to go to church today, but rather to be joyfully. There's joy in the house of the Lord, right? There you go. He expected joy in the lives of his worshipers. But Solomon looked down and noticed that they didn't have joy that what they were doing was going through the motions without ever engaging their hearts, and it grieved Solomon's heart. He wanted them to be careful how they approach God, and to do so with a certain reverence and, and a great deal of joy to engage their minds and their hearts when worshiping the Lord. Samuel points out the problem that existed in Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, when he writes these words, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offering and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission to the Lord is better 
than the offering of the fat of rams. When you approach God, Solomon said to his people, make sure you engage your mind and your heart. Don't just go through the motions, but be fully present. Be there. Secondly, in verse 1, he says, and listen up. This is what he writes. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Solomon calls the Israelites to make listening to God a priority in their worship. He wants them to sit still and listen to the voice of God. And I love this. Do not make the sacrifice of fools. What in the world is the sacrifice of fools? Like a lot of phrases in in Ecclesiastes, it takes some work to try to figure out what exactly Solomon meant by that. So you break it down, and you have to ask the question, first of all, well, who were the fools that Solomon is talking about? And the fools are unrepentant sinners, people who just go about sinning and sinning and sinning, never giving a second thought to it. They are unrepentant sinners. They are experts in wrongdoing. They are the fools. And here's what Solomon says. Listen, watch how the fools go to worship. You know how the fools worship? You know the sacrifice the fools bring into worship? They go to worship with this attitude. If I do this for God, then God has to do this for me. And so if I go to worship on Sunday at 9.15 for God, then God owes me something. If I sing in 9.15, he owes me more. If I really listen and even take notes, my goodness, that will take me through Thursday. And if I do something with what I hear, I'm good to go until next Sunday. The sacrifice of fools is to believe that what you do for God means he has to do something back for you as well. It's interesting as you read this passage of scripture, you realize that what Solomon is after is rebuking a me-centered worship, trying to bring the people back to a God-centered worship. Now go on to verses 2 and 3 with me. And notice there that Solomon cautions the Israelites about how they pray. He warns them not to be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. When I read that, the very first thing that came to my mind were the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Maybe you remember these words where Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't pray mindless prayers. Don't pray thoughtless prayers. Don't pray senseless prayers. When you pray, engage your mind and your heart and have a conversation have a conversation with God. You know that's what prayer is? It's a conversation with God? I don't know about you guys, but I know about me that, you know, Jenny will sometimes say to me, are you listening to me? And she's wanting to tell me something, and she'll stop, and she'll say, are you listening to me? And I'll say, why'd you ask that? Because she says you have your head down, and you are clearly trying to do two things at one time, one of which is listening to me, and that never goes well. Okay? I'm sorry if I'm getting some men in trouble here, but I mean, that's what Jenny says to me. And you know what? She's right. So here's how a conversation works. You look the other person in the eye, 
You listen to what they say. You respond back to what they say, not what you think they said. And you have then a give and take in a conversation. It's the same with God. He wants to have a fully engaged, thoughtful conversation with you. Now, the problem is, and, and Solomon makes this point too often, and it happens when we pray, and it happens even when pastors preach, we tend to drift off into daydreaming or nighttime dreaming. And he uses dreams twice in Ecclesiastes 5 to talk about how we disengage our minds and often we end up, if we were seated where Jesus is on the throne, we end up sounding like a bunch of nonsense in our prayers, rote, routine, we rattle it off. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen, pass the red beets. That kind of thing, okay? That kind of thing, okay? And so he uses dreams. Now you know, you know, it's interesting here he talks about dreams after a day of many cares. Have you ever had one of those nights when you dream like nonsensical dreams and it's related to the fact that it's been a heavy day? Just in the middle of this week, I had a really heavy day of pastoral care things. It was on Wednesday. And, uh, and then Jenny and I went to the fair and going to the fair with Jenny means walking two feet, stopping, walking two feet, stopping, walking two feet. She talks to everybody. It's just amazing. <laughs> just amazing. When she's here at 11 o'clock, I will revise that illustration. <laughs> and I went home that night, and I was just exhausted. And so I turned the TV on, and there was nothing good to watch. So I went to PBS, and there was a documentary about the rivers of the world. Now that is, like, compelling. And so Wednesday night, it was about the Zambezi River. And in the middle of this documentary is this <coughs> segment about hippopotamuses. And I didn't know these things, that hippopotamus, the average hippopotamus, we don't have a lot around here, so I didn't know this. The average hippopotamus is two tons. And they are docile creatures. They're very kind. They get along with everybody. The only time they get angry is if somebody tries to steal their wife. That's the only time, okay? So I'm watching this, you know, and then I turn TV off, I go to bed. In the middle of the night, I have this dream it is like unbelievable. It, it causes me to wake up and sit up in bed. Suddenly there's a hippopotamus in our house. <laughs> and in my dream, I'm starting to worry about whether, whether the floor is gonna be able to hold the weight of this hippopotamus. And I start to chase the hippopotamus out the back door, which is ridiculous because it couldn't get through it. I realized that. And it ran under our kitchen table. And then it got spooked and it jumped up as hippopotamuses jump and it broke the middle of the kitchen table. And then it ran out and ate the end of the kitchen table, and I'm thinking in my dream, oh my goodness, Jenny's not gonna be happy. And in my dream, I went up to the closet and got a tablecloth and brought it down and put it over the table so Jenny didn't notice the damage that was on the table. Now, friends, I need counseling. I mean, honest to goodness, I, at that point, I like woke up and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, a hippopotamus, now wait a minute, that was a dream. There is no hippopotamus in this house. And it took me a half an hour to get back to sleep. That's what a hippopotamus will do to you every time. And you know what Solomon is saying is sometimes to the throne of God in heaven, to the voice of God, 
We drift in our prayers. We drift when we're listening to a preacher preach. And when he looks down, it's like he's hearing and seeing nonsense. There's no connection, doesn't make any sense because we're not engaged, we're daydreaming or night dreaming. Look at verses four through six. Solomon goes on and tells the people that God expects them to follow through on their commitments to him. Don't renege on your promises, God says. As one scholar said, the words you voice to God matter to God. The words you voice to God matter to God. Say that with me. The words you voice to God matter to God. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, not a translation, not one you want to read all the time as part of your devotions, but his paraphrase, Eugene Peterson, pastor, professor, gives insight into what verses four to six say in a paraphrase. This is what he writes in the message. When you tell God you'll do something, do it now. God takes no pleasure in foolish drivel. Vow it, then do it. Far better not to vow in the first place than to vow and not pay up. Don't let your mouth make a total sinner of you. When called to account, you won't get by with, sorry, sorry, God, I didn't mean it. Why risk provoking God to angry retaliation? Finally, in verse 7, Solomon drives his point home. And the point of all of these verses is simply this. God wants relationship, not religion. God wants relationship, not religion. Say that with me. God wants relationship, not religion. When in verse 7, God says, now stand in all of me. He's saying, I'm the Lord of life. <laughs> I'm God in heaven. You're on earth. Stand in all of me. Means getting rid of the religious checklists. Do you ever notice that sometimes in our religion, we have a checklist? Go to church at 9.15 Sunday, check off. Read the daily bread on Monday morning, check it off. Go to men's group on Wednesday, check it off. And we go through life checking things off instead of genuinely engaging our hearts, standing in awe of the one true and living God and spending personal time with him, enjoying God. Do you enjoy God? Getting to know God, have you gotten to know him? And obeying him. The summary of these seven verses is very simple. God says to Israel, I don't want your religion, I want you. So what do we do with these seven verses? Do they have any relevance to us today here in Willow Street, in Lancaster County? You bet they do. God continues to say to us today, I don't want your religion, I want you. I want you. And where does that begin? That begins by receiving and accepting from God his free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sin, and a new and eternal life that is offered to us in and through one and one alone. And you know his name, don't you? His name is? Jesus. And Jesus alone. Here's the glorious truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Every one of us are sinners. There is not one of us who is perfect in any way. 
And because of our sin, we are separated from having a personal relationship with God in heaven. But the good news is that God so loves us, so desires to have a personal relationship with us, so wants to walk with us and to talk with us and to live in our hearts by his spirit that God has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, perfect in every way, fully God, fully man, yet without sin, as the sacrifice on a cross for the sins of every man and woman ever to live. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he died dug in your place. He bore your sins in his body, Matt. He bore your sins in his body, Sarah. Your sins in his body, Marilyn. Your sins in his body. Jesus Christ bore the sins of the world on himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, he was separated from his Father in heaven because of the sins of the world upon him. But he bore those sins because none of us could bear the penalty for our sin. He died for us on the cross. He was laid in a buried tomb. He was raised on the third day, the victor over sin and death and evil. He is the Savior and Lord, and there is no other. He is the only way of salvation. On the 40th day, he was ascended to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. On the 50th day after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was sent and came into the church, and the church was born, and the Spirit of God came into men and women and transformed them from the inside out. Jesus Christ offers to us the free gift of salvation. If we will believe and trust in him, Ray Dieter, he will forgive us of our sin. He will give us a brand new life, Vaughn. He will give us the assurance of eternal life, Naomi and Bob, such that we know that we know that we know that our sins are forgiven and we have a new and eternal life in him. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the very best news. That's the news that this mad, mad world needs to hear today. That's where we begin a relationship with him. He doesn't want our religion. He wants you. He wants you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to send his Holy Spirit to transform your life. He wants to give you eternity and the inheritance of eternity so that someday you will see him face to face and you will live with him forever. But here's what Solomon warns us about. Here's what he warns us about. Sometimes after we come to faith in Christ and we're growing in Christ, we get a little too comfortable with God. We fall into religious ruts. We need to be reminded, like Solomon reminded Israel, that we need to engage mind and heart. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just do things. Don't just tech off the boxes. First of all, watch your step. Whenever you approach God, watch your step, he says. For example, consider carefully how you approach God in personal times of prayer. When you go to a small group or a men's group or a women's group, watch your step when you come to church on Sunday morning. What does that mean? It means that don't just do this because it's the thing to do. Because you know what? 
It's Sunday, it's 9.15, and I live in Lancaster County. One of the most church counties around. Better go to church. Watch your step when you approach God. Don't just come here because it's the thing to do. Come here because you expect to meet him. And you believe that when you do, he will tell you how he wants you to live, and then you will live to leave to obey him. Pastor Will and I were visiting this week, and toward the end of our visit, he, he and I always talk about how blessed we are to be pastors here at Grace Community Church. And he said, you know, he said, in my 16 years as pastor at Grace Community Church, there was not one single Sunday where I didn't roll out of bed and say, oh, I have to go to church again. I have to preach. I have to lead this congregation. He said, every Sunday I'd roll out of bed and I'd be excited for the day and I'd look forward to what God is going to do first in me and then in my people. And I said to him, that is the same for me. 11 years and four months and there isn't a weekend that I don't drive from my home in Smoketown to this church home in Willow Street without excitement in my heart. Oh, Lord, what are you going to do today? Do it in me. But oh, my goodness, thank you, Jesus, for the front row seat to see what you're going to do in the lives of the people I love so dearly. Do you come expecting to meet the Lord? Do you? And when you pray in the week by yourself, do you expect to meet Jesus? When you open the word of God, do you expect to meet Jesus? Watch your step. Don't just do it mindlessly. Secondly, listen up. Pay attention to what you sing. Every word of the lyrics. Pay attention to what is being prayed. Pay attention to the word of God as read. Pay attention to the sermon as it's preached. Listen well. And as you do, you will meet God. You will meet him. You may wonder what pastors are thinking as they're preaching, especially when you preach four sermons in a weekend. You know, you kind of get to the point where you're looking out and you're preaching along and you're also thinking some things. And, and some of us, I think every preacher actually wonders, I wonder if everybody's fully engaged. I wonder if they're really listening. I wonder if what they're, you know, and, and, and sometimes when you see people with their phones, are they really reading the Bible or are they replying to email right now, you know? So you're just not sure. So I was preaching in a church the other week, and it was a church with pews, and in the pews they had offering envelopes, and there was an offering envelope in front of me, and before the service got underway, I noticed that there was writing on the offering envelope, and I picked it up and started reading, and I just started to laugh. I thought, oh yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens. You can imagine two people sitting to each other, and this is what their conversation was, and they wrote it out and passed it back and forth. What you thinking about? Now, the pastor's probably preaching. The answer should have been, I'm thinking about what the pastor is saying right now. But the answer was, I'm thinking about not throwing up. <laughs> to which the other person says, uh, can't comfort that. Just go use the bathroom. Brilliant idea. To which the other person wrote, I don't want to be rude. To which the other person wrote, well, the other girl went out to the bathroom. It's not rude. I just want to play music. You will sing if you're sick? Question mark. Honestly, that's what, I won't even read the rest of it. I mean, that's what they were doing in church. That's about like, I don't know, half a point in a sermon right there. 
maybe you're not writing, but let me ask you, are you fully engaged in listening to God? Thirdly, think and pray. When we pray, we need to fully engage our minds and our hearts in prayer. I've already told you this. Prayer is a conversation with God. Let me ask you a question. When the pastoral prayer comes in the service, now don't shout your answer. Do you really pay attention to every word that's being prayed? Listen, when I was growing up at Bethel Church in Conestoga, I have to be honest, just, and I was eight, nine, 10 years old, so just you know, give me grace here. That was like the worst part of the whole service for me. Because we had to stand. Like, I want to sit down. Like, I got to the point where I was, you know, envious of my grandma who had arthritis and had to sit down. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Couldn't I just sit and keep her company, you know? Because they would just pray on and on and on. And now I pray on and on and on. <laughs> but people sit down. It took me a long while to learn that when the pastor is praying, he is standing in the gap for all of us. And in that part of the service, he's voicing what should be in all of our hearts. So when Andrew prayed today, the way to pray is to listen closely and say, yes, Lord, thank you that Peckway Church could be in the New Holland Fair Parade. And I pray that the contacts that were made there will make a difference at Peckway Church. And Lord, as Conestoga grows, membership and attendance, I pray for unity in Conestoga, and you agree in prayer. Now here, I want to say one more thing to you. Some people are very critical of preachers or pastors who write out their prayers. They say, well, that's not a real prayer, if they have to write it out and read it. Well, someone had to talk to Jesus about that then, because he was the one who made the first mistake for you. When he said, when you pray, say, our Father, he wrote it out and suggested we pray it. There's nothing wrong with written prayers. In fact, it's a wonderful exercise and discipline to talk with the Lord. I write to people that I love. Why wouldn't you? That's a form of prayer. Fourthly, big one. Say this with me. Keep your promises. Keep your promises. I want you to think about the various times in life when we make promises to the Lord. Weddings. Well, we all know about the vows of weddings. Child dedications. We witnessed Cody and Emily today making promises to raise Dalton to know and to love Jesus, to lead him to the Lord. Baptisms. By the way, our afternoon baptism is now canceled due to rain. But baptismal candidates will answer this question. Are you determined by the grace of God to live the Christian life, to devote yourself to the study of God's word and to prayer and to be a faithful participant in the work of his kingdom? Yes, I will. Will you? There's another place where we make promises. Our salvation. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Say it with me. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. A little louder. I have decided to follow Jesus. A little louder. I have decided to follow Jesus. Are you? Are you following him as you promised you would? In verses four through six, God makes it very clear that he expects us to keep our promises. He expects us to do what we promised to him without delay and without excuse and to keep our promises. You know what he says? When you don't keep your word, it makes me angry. Those are strong words. Do you know why it makes God angry? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're saying to the world, I follow him. And when you don't keep your word, it doesn't only look badly for you, it looks badly for him too. So keep your promises. Which leads finally to this. Stand in awe. Stand in awe. God doesn't want your religion. He wants you to approach him with great love and reverence. He doesn't want your religion. He wants you to listen up. He doesn't want your religion. He wants when you pray to think about what you're praying and have a conversation that you mean it when you say it. He doesn't want your religion. He wants you to keep your promises. He doesn't want your religion. He wants you to stand in awe, in awe of the one true and living God and King, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question today. What are you giving to Jesus? Your religion? Check the box, check the box, check the box. If I do this for God, he'll do this for me. Or are you giving him yourself? I want to close with this challenge. It's something for you to do later on because I want you to really be fully engaged if you choose to accept the challenge. It's a challenge to pray a risky prayer. Okay? Here's the risky prayer I challenge you to pray sometime today. Jesus, I know you don't want my religion. I know you want me. Do you have what you want? Do you have what you want? I prayed that prayer because after all, a faithful preacher always has a goal in mind when he writes a sermon and that goal is first applied to him. And you know how some of us have blind spots like we don't see things in ourselves that other people see. I have blind spots. God sees things in me that I don't see, and I need him to tell me what they are. And so when I said, I know you don't want my religion, I know you want me, do you have what you want? He showed me something in my life 
I said, okay. I didn't see that. Jesus, I want to give that to you. I want to surrender that to you. Friends, he doesn't want your religion. He wants you. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the humbling reality of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, that in this portion of Scripture, you make it very clear, abundantly clear, that religion is not going to bring any satisfaction or fulfillment to our lives, only a relationship with you. My prayer this morning is specifically for the Christians who are gathered here. I pray, Father, that every one of us would by your power see the blind spots of religion in our lives, surrender those to you, and begin to follow you more faithfully in those areas of our lives where we've been giving you religion instead of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.